Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you in your providence that you have us here in your house to hear your word. Father, we look forward to the new year hopeful because we have a Savior. We look forward to the new year because we walk in grace as followers of Christ. Father, I pray that you would bless this morning, that you would help me as I communicate your word, that I would do so accurately and clearly, and that, Father, most importantly, that by your Holy Spirit, Father God, you would open these truths up to our hearts and that you would implant them and that, Father, you would encourage and strengthen us through them. We commit this service to you in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I want to pick back up in the Acts of the Apostles where we left off, and it is interesting in God's providence as we come up against a new year. Peter is at the conclusion of his second sermon, and he is speaking to the people regarding repentance. So as we look at this text, and you can have your finger on Acts 3, verse 17, where we will begin. But first, let's look back and see the context that we find ourselves. As you remember, we see the fellowship of believers following the events of the day of Pentecost had begun to grow rapidly. And quite literally, the church of Christ was born. The body of believers had begun living out their faith together. There was a clear pattern of faithfulness, devotion, as we see in chapter 2, verse 46. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. For not only were they living out their faith together as a body of believers, but they were also living out their faith in community. Chapter 3 opens with Peter and John going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And if you remember Peter, approaching the temple, sees and engages a man lame from birth. He says to him, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Well, Peter, taking him by the hand, raises him up fully healed. The man is jubilant, walking and leaping and praising God. The people watch in stunned amazement and then seemingly rush upon them. The miracle of the lame man walking has accomplished many things, but most specifically, he certainly blessed the man, changing his life forever. But in doing so, Peter has gotten the attention of all those on Solomon's portico. So Peter addresses them directly. Verses 12 and 13. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us? As though by our own power or piety, piety, we have made him walk. 
the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. Peter proclaims in no uncertain terms, they are complicit in Jesus' death. You denied the holy and righteous one, Peter says. You killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. And the faith that is through Jesus has given this man this perfect health in the presence of you all. The miracle is substantiated. Peter's calling as an apostle and a messenger of God and it has substantiated Peter's Peter's message. And so we come to our text this morning in Acts 3, verse 17. And we're going to read through to verse 26. So join along with me if you would like. He begins, And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you. Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Verse 26. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. So here, Peter's dialogue with the people on Solomon's portico has shifted slightly. His plea becomes personal. He's not just addressing them for what they have done, but what they should do. Peter is calling them to repentance. And that call of repentance is where we're going to have our focus today. And again, addressing the people, Peter makes his call for repentance in an unexpected way, really. He begins by saying, and now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance. Peter's tone is, it's kind, it's conciliatory. It's, it, it's the tone of a peacemaker. He's not making a declaration of condemnation, but a plea for reconciliation. Peter's plea flows from the heart of God. The prophet Isaiah 
spoke the word of God to the people of Israel in the 7th century. Though they refused to listen to his warnings of looming disaster, you can hear the heart of God in Isaiah's words. Chapter 1, verse 18. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are like crimson, they shall be like wool. Or Jesus himself, earlier in the Gospel of Matthew, verse 23, looking over Jerusalem before the final day, he says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. This is what is so important to understand with Peter's plea. The call to repentance flows from the heart of God. It is the shepherd who leaves the 99 sheep to go and look for the one. And so it is with Peter. He says, and now, brothers. You can hear the same cry of conciliation for reconciliation. And not only is Peter's tone conciliatory, it is, I can never pronounce this in public, familial. Brothers, he addresses them. It is an intimate connection Peter is making, ancestral to be sure, but personal. Peter is not lofty and removed like a judge seated high on a bench, rather as brothers seated side by side. Peter teaches us here how important it is to watch the condition of our heart from which we call others to repentance. We claim to speak the very oracles of God, do we not? But James has a warning for those proclaiming wisdom. James, 13, James 3, verse 13. Who is wise in understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Now, James is not speaking specifically of a call to repentance, but he does warn us of a haughty spirit that sees wisdom within rather than expressing the wisdom from above. For with it comes a promise, he says in verse 18. A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Well, Peter's call to repentance is conciliatory for sure, familial, it is personal, and it's also honest. He says, I know you acted in ignorance. The people, the rulers, 
did not set out to kill the Messiah promised of God. But in fact, that is what they did do. Peter says in verse 18, But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. And you may even remember back in Peter's first sermon from chapter 2, quoting King David from the Psalms, Peter says, For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And then he says this, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, meaning Jesus, both Lord and Christ. This Jesus whom you crucified. So how we might ask, and by exactly what does Peter mean by ignorance? We actually see this quite a bit in the scriptures in the Old Testament. Certainly looking back to Isaiah chapter 1, we see the prophet bemoan this ignorance and blindness of the people. Chapter 1, verse 2, he says, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Children I have reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner, and the donkey its master's crib. But Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly. They have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of, of Israel. They are utterly estranged. And that's a picture of a people who once knew God and falling into ignorance of the very God that they claim to worship. And there are hundreds of texts like this. It's not an isolated problem, you could say. We could look at Isaiah 53 as the prophet speaks of the coming Messiah. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief and as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That chapter in Isaiah goes on detailing the circumstances, the calling, the presentation of the Messiah. And we have to ask, 
How does such a catastrophic failure of ignorance happen? And we might ask that of ourselves. How do we fail to see what is plain to see in reflection? I don't think they had this term back then, but 2020 is hindsight. Well, I think first we see what we want to see. We want God to act as we would want him to act. And when he doesn't, we stop looking. The Jews wanted victory over their nation's oppressors, but instead God gave a suffering servant, a savior who was pierced for our transgressions, who was crushed for our iniquities. We, we so often cannot see our true need. Isn't that true? Well, I think secondly, we are blinded by, frankly, our own sinful condition. The Apostle Paul, speaking of this, and speaking of mankind in general, says in the beginning of Romans, what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. Paul tells us in our sinful natures, we want to suppress truth. We press it down. We push it away. Paul goes on to say, we create in our own minds our God who thinks as we think and act as we would have him act. But Peter calls the people to repent, to admit their guilt, to turn back, he says, to God and Christ, their Savior. The irony really is almost unfathomable. The man whom they cheered, crucify, crucify, has been sent by God to save them. This Jesus, as, as Peter said to the crowd on the day of Pentecost, was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed him by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Peter's call to repentance is clear. The people must act without delay. Repent, therefore, he says, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of the holy prophets long ago. This is the spirit of repentance. It's a spirit of, of hope. It's a spirit of renewal and reconciliation. This is what God calls us to in turning back. Peter says, repent, that your sins may be blotted out. 
That is God's call to repentance. It means to wipe away, to erase, obliterate our sins. You know, back then, much of the writing was done on papyrus. And I I learned a little interesting fact about papyrus and the inks that they used that it that uh, it didn't have the same properties of our writing it didn't it didn't sink in it lay on top and this term to wipe away literally meant to wipe the ink clean off of the page a clean sheet in our day we'd call that a whiteboard wouldn't we But that's what God promises through repentance. Repentance is the path to salvation. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is the means. This is the promise for every repentant sinner. Listen to Paul in Ephesians 2. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. This is the spirit of repentance. It seeks to be right with God today without delay. The spirit of repentance, it not only calls us to repentance today, it speaks to future promises. Peter in verse 20 says this, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. This is the spirit of hope, spirit of restoration. It's the spirit of glory. And Peter here points beyond the first coming of Christ and points to the second coming of Christ, coming in power. He looks to Christ's future return and the restoration of all things. It is the heart cry of all repentant who long for the kingdom of God in all its fullness, in all its righteousness, in all its glory. Amen? Speaking to that future time, Paul said this in Romans 8. Creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this, 
hope we were saved. What Paul is saying is that when one repents, we turn back to God in faith. We are creatures who long for the whole deal. And we don't experience that yet, do we? We still find ourselves in a fallen world. We still find ourselves with aging bodies. I'm not asking for any cards, but I turn 63 tomorrow. I know this feeling. We groan for its full redemption to experience it in its, in its fullest sense. As he says, the glory of the children of God. Can you imagine that day? I don't think any of us can actually imagine it. But what we can imagine is probably one millionth compared to the actual experience. The glory of the children of God. All that God intends for us. And this is the cry of God for repentance. Paul goes on to say, for the whole creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Well, Peter's text not only points to the call of repentance, the spirit of repentance, it speaks to the hope of repentance. And as Luke makes clear throughout, the, really throughout the book of Acts, none of these events take place in a vacuum, do they? We see the sovereignty and the plan of God. They don't arise suddenly without notice. In fact, God is speaking through and to the Jewish nation for centuries. As Peter says in verse 22, Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And again in verse 24, and all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days. Peter is thinking of King David, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Micah, and more. They all spoke to Christ. They all spoke to these days. Peter goes on in verse 25. You, speaking to the people, you are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your father, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. It is as if Peter wanted to grab them by the shoulders and just shaking them, saying, do you realize what people you are? Do you realize the heritage that was intended for you? Peter, uh, Paul in Romans 9, confirms this by saying they are Israelites and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs and from their race, according to the flesh, 
is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Every blessing flows through the children of Israel. I think in some ways we've been reminded of that these days. But especially the Lord Jesus Christ, the intentions of God are that they, the people of Israel, would be a blessing to the whole world. He says, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. What a privilege, honestly, to be a Jew. What a privilege to be the people of God to whom he made himself known, walked with for centuries, that they would know his character, they would know his righteousness, and that his intentions to use his people Well, Peter, in verse 26, makes his last final plea for repentance. He says, God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Let me ask you a question. When you hear the word repent, do you think condemnation? Do you think guilt? Or do you think blessing? Peter's words, God having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you, to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. That's God's intention for repentance, for our repentance. Peter says the resurrected Christ is sent to you to bless you by calling you to repentance, to turn you away from sin and to turn you back to God. The call of repentance flows from the love of God that seeks us out to bless us. Here, Titus 3, verse 4. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. This is Peter's plea for repentance. This is the heart of God calling to us for repentance. But before we conclude, there's a couple verses I skipped over. But we have to hear what Moses is warning spoken through Peter. He says in verse 22 and 23, Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me, from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. The people of Israel here in this time failed to recognize their Messiah. 
and they miss that blessing. But God has promised Christ will come again and he's coming in power. This time to judge the living and the dead and to reward his faithful. If you are a follower of Christ today, you have, you have heard this call from our Father. You have heard the call of repentance and responded. And God has richly blessed you in Christ. If you are not a follower of Christ, the God of all creation beckons you. Repent of your sins and receive Christ, the one intended for you. And my prayer is that you do so today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. And as we enter into a new year, Father, as followers of Christ, may we walk daily in a spirit of repentance. Father, ever seeking to walk in harmony and obedience in joyful submission with our, with our Heavenly Father. And Father, as, as repentant and flawed individuals, may you use us in the year ahead as a blessing to those around us. Father, may we speak with humility and love calling others to repentance, calling others to the Savior. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, let me leave you with this word of benediction from Hebrews 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God go in peace you are dismissed